Welcome to Solutions Cast, a CFC podcast that highlights the cooperative network projects and leader stories, as well as economic and energy industry insights. I'm your host, Christine Pachenik, and joining me today to discuss basically growing the next generation of co-op leaders is Gary Fawn from NRECA, who is the Director of Executive Staff and Education. Thanks for joining me here today, Gary. Ah, my pleasure. Glad to be uh, glad to be with you today. Now, I'm currently sitting in your MIP class, doing a little bit of leadership training myself, and it's brought up a lot of interesting topics, I have to say, in terms of the challenges that co-ops are going to face. How many of those executive leaders are going to be retiring in the next five years, and what some of that looks like as far as the challenges that co-ops are going to face, but then potentially there's some opportunities there, I think, for growth from co-op staff. What do you see in terms of trends for co-ops? It is a very interesting time in terms of not only, you know, industry change and needing new skills and expertise to make our utilities uh, cooperative successful, but also just in terms of of the turnover. Uh, I would say based on some other connections I have in the industry, cooperatives are maybe a little bit behind the curve in terms of the the volume of retirements, uh, you know, throughout the workforce, that kind of thing. But the data from 2022 shows that uh, about 82,000 employees across the country in co-ops, about 43% of the CEOs that are in jobs right now are eligible to retire in the next five years. And that number has been pretty consistent over the last, oh, I'd say five to seven years. I don't know if you like snakes or not, but I I think about it as kind of the, the mouse going through the snake. We've got this baby boomer bubble kind of traveling through this retirement snake. The the future is what it's going to be and lots of opportunities for folks to move up in the ranks. So let me ask you about that that snake. And no, I'm not a huge fan of snakes. (laughs) Don't mind when they're outside, but don't particularly like to be close to them. But I'm curious in terms of if there is that consistency across, is there... Are we going to see a sharper drop-off as maybe those baby boomers come to that age of retirement and there's a generation shift? I'm, I'm wondering how that might play out. And what do you think that might, how the, that might impact co-ops in terms of shifting that institutional yeah. knowledge as well? I think, you know, at, at that top level of the organization, the CEO level, I, I think there'll be a little bit of leveling off probably. But, you know, when you're replacing a big group of folks with another big group of folks, uh, there's going to be some tendency for inertia there. And the baby boomer generation is a long span and had a lot of people. And, and so the folks that are coming in behind, you know, some don't want to work as long. You know, some of those folks in that uh, almost ready to retire or ready to retire, you know, we got CEOs out there that uh, one of them just retired uh, fairly recently. He was, I think, 89, somewhere in his 80s. And, and I don't see next generation of CEOs uh, wanting to work that long. I think there's going to be a continual need there. And if you look at the demographics overall, generation by generation, I think that that data will kind of support that that notion. I just did uh, this week have an opportunity to look at the CEO uh, hirings for 2023. And the data that I've got uh, so far in 2023, there's been 77 new CEOs. Of those, 42 were internal hires. And 21 came from other places in the network, other co-ops. Okay. Is that a shift at all in terms of uh, I didn't get a chance to look back, unfortunately. I, my sense is that uh, over time, uh, co-ops and boards particularly, right, they're the ones who make this decision uh, for the CEO, have tended to look for folks 
with co-op experience. And, and as, as you well know, I mean, co-ops are unique in many ways. Now, we're still businesses, but the way we do business is something that doesn't fit with every kind of personality, with every kind of background. And so I think once people get into a co-op network, whether it's electric or otherwise, that business model perspective, I think, starts to kind of take root and becomes part of our DNA. And I think boards look for a lot of that. Sometimes we talk about the need for passing on that institutional mm-hmm. knowledge. There's a worry or a fear there that it might be lost. I think what you're doing in a lot of your training, it seems, mm-hmm. you're making sure that that is a consistent thread of the leaders who yeah. will be. Yeah. I mean, it's really kind of a double-edged sword, right? If, if we lose the institutional knowledge completely, then can our organizations actually connect with the generations of the membership in the appropriate way? And then the flip side of it is, right, institutional knowledge sometimes turns into we've always done it that way. And so even if we're promoting from within, which the data shows at the CEO level that looks like we're doing a a nice job of that, what are people doing to keep their thinking fresh? What are people doing to keep growing as leaders? And so I've been fortunate uh, working in this role with NRECA now for 25 years in helping to grow leadership across the network. I did a calculation one day uh, last year, and I think I've participated in about 80 graduations for the management internship program, and that means about 1,900 graduates. And, so and you, you have honestly touched a lot of the future leadership here in terms of your career at NRECA and being able to really impact that next portion of the leaders that are coming I I hope so. I mean, every day we hope we can make a difference, right? How how have you had to shift your mindset from even when you you started? Mm -hmm. And has there been a shift there for you? Oh, there was. The first, first, I'd say, two to three years, I beat my head into the wall. I'm an engineer by background. And in engineering school, they say, identify a problem, identify potential solutions to the problem, analyze the heck out of each of those you know, potential solutions, then pick one and that problem goes away. In that mindset, there's a done. There's a point in time where that problem is gone. And if I've learned anything in, in this career that I've had with co-ops in this you know, education role, uh, education is never done. Learning is never done. Programs are never fixed in concrete. Right, everything evolves, and I will admit uh, very freely that the first couple years of my job, I, I fought against that. I wanted it to be done so that I didn't have to work as hard at making something new. Right, and fortunately, I got over that. But now it's actually, I view that as a critical component of of what I do and how I do it. Is that uh, we're always thinking about what does done look like next? Right? What's the next thing? Uh, and, and try to be. Maybe not on the bloody edge, but at least always pushing the envelope somewhere to make sure that we keep it fresh. And then there's some components in the management internship program, for example, that uh, probably haven't changed much in that 25 years. And one of those you'll get later this week, actually. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and I do like that, how you've really embraced the idea that things change and shift so that leadership training is never going to be the same necessarily, Mm -hmm. right? Another portion of that that's on the newer end of this is technology and how much future leadership needs to be, A, knowledgeable of it, be able to take advantage of it, but C, also make sure that they're safe and secure with yeah, options. I mean, and technology has, has been a key shift for sure, that, or a, a trend, I guess, that we've seen. And we've always had technology. But when we say the word technology, what do we really mean? 
Today, I think when we say technology, most of us will think about our little smart devices that we put in our pocket, or we'll think about the laptop that you've got in front of you. We might think about it as the remote control for a bucket truck, so the person doesn't have to be sitting on a really high seat in central North Dakota in the middle of the night, and it's, you know, 50 mile an hour wind blowing the wind chills minus 100, right? They could be more tucked in, get out of the wind, and, and still operate the, the digger dairy. Technology can mean lots of different things, but yes, that clearly has been a trend. When I first started this job, uh, the guys at the training center that would set the room up, every time they would roll up a group of tables that had personal computers on them and line the outside of the room with personal computers. And they were running something called DOS, which you may not even remember. <laughs> and I kept asking, why do you guys keep bringing these computers up? Well, they belonged to NRECA. And so I started asking questions, and it turns out that when PCs were new, that was part of the, the training program was, what do we use these things for? How do they work? How do we fix them when they quit working? Now everybody brings a laptop with or a tablet, and we don't think a second thing of it. There is no uh, set of tables in the basement where we've got PCs waiting for a class to come in. That continually evolves for sure. We're seeing more IT leaders come into the management internship program. And, and I think uh, other parts of my job, Tech Advantage Conference, a few things like that, that space is growing. The IT focus is growing. We're getting a lot more women into the programs than we used to have. Now, I don't know that they've really been sort of cracked that ceiling, if you will, in terms of the number of female CEOs across the country, but certainly in the leadership roles are reporting to or, or helping to lead the organizations overall. We're seeing a lot more women than we used to. And now, was gonna ask you about that trend whether you are seeing more shift in the types of executives who are coming up, that they're not coming up from what we consider the traditional role of accountant or CFO or finance professional, or they were in operations and moved up. I think those were more considered that path. And now it seems like there's opportunities for if you're on the technology side or even marketing or member services and there's a, a wider range or broader range. Clear, range clearly, of, I think there's, you know, and I don't know that we're seeing it in big numbers yet, but we're still a very capital intensive industry. So it kind of makes mm -hmm. sense that the engineering folks and the accounting and finance folks, you know, get sort of first look perhaps or whatever. But, you know, I think time has proven in many ways that that ability to communicate with members and engage with members. Uh, is probably more important or, or more critical than it has been perhaps in the past because membership is changing as well. And so dealing with those key components of finance and infrastructure, that's a big part of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. That's a recognition that's coming not only through the boards and into the hiring process for the leaders of the organization, but I think just in general of how other leaders in the organization approach what they're doing and recognizing that uh, we used to do engineering technology and it was, you know, SCADA out there to the substations and whatever. Well, now that's got to tie into our internal network. So the IT people and the engineering technicians need to work together. We need to share those stories with members. So the communications folks and the engineering folks need to talk together. One of the places I challenge folks often is uh, what's the one question that members want to know when the power is out? And that question is, of course, when's it going to be back on? And uh, it seems to be a real challenge, uh, a little bit physically and, and also mindset-wise, to say, we're going to try to figure out how to answer that question. And yet, with new technology, getting more data, more sensors, uh, smarter systems, I think it's going to be kind of like going to the mechanic today, right? The car is going to tell you more about what's, what's wrong with it 
than the mechanic is, at least initially. The mechanic's going to plug the car in. The line workers, the troubleshooters, are going to plug into the system, so to speak, and, and learn more so that we can make easier and better estimates about how to answer that question. When is it going to be back on? And every situation is unique. I get that. But we also go to the mechanic, and they can tell us, uh, give us a good estimate of how much our brake job is going to cost on a 1998 Honda Accord. Yeah, and I th- you bring up a great point. The cross-departmental information sharing and how because you're in one department doesn't mean you don't know what's going on in another department and how critical that is to growing, I think, a healthy organization, a healthy mm-hmm. cooperative. If I was a, a CEO today and was going to take that role, the environment or the culture that I would want uh, you know, permeating the organization, but certainly at that leadership level, is one where we're cordial with each other, we're congenial with each other, you know, those kinds of terms, but also we can challenge each other, challenge what we're putting on the table. So if the marketing person brings a marketing plan for XYZ, EVs or, or some new demand response technology or whatever it is, brings a marketing plan to the table, the engineer feels not only obligated to comment on it, but confident to comment on it in a positive way, making it better, stronger. And the flip side is, same way, right? The engineer brings a construction work plan to the table. The marketing person ought to be able to ask the right questions and and communicate enough so that how do I communicate this $25 million set of projects to our membership? And oh, by the way, how did we prioritize these? Yep. Right, so we can make those messages real and again, put them in front of the members in a way that it's meaningful to them. Say, oh, my local co-op is investing in this infrastructure because X, Y, C, and D. I, I love the way that you put that, that you have the ability to challenge, I think, your co-workers, even when you don't feel that you're necessarily in that you're space. You're not the expert, yeah. right? And but, but you know enough. Along those lines, I'm also curious to get your thoughts on CEOs, and have you seen any change from looking just to the CEO to more of a C-suite style development of an organization where a CEO now is really looking to hire for gaps maybe in their skill set and lean a little bit more heavily on other leaders in the organization? I think there's certainly a move that way. I mean, we're, we're way past the sort of old style authoritarian uh, everything comes to me type leadership in our cooperative organizations. And so many, many co-ops have repeat business here to the MIP that, that you're participating in, Christine, but even more broadly than that, I think many folks realize, hey, I can't be the expert in everything. And so where does that expertise reside? And, you know, we think about there are a few co-ops that are playing in the power supply marketplace on their own. They've had to hire in or build or, or develop right, expertise on how do you play in that marketplace and, and manage your risk that way. That's a whole different set of skills than we used to have, and the CEO can't do it by him or herself. And same way goes with the technology that we talked about just a moment ago, right? The technology is moving so fast. If we waited for every CEO to say, here's what we should do next with technology, uh, we'd probably be way behind. And I think CEOs recognize that. It might be hard to admit some days, but, you know, we think about, uh, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, chat GPT, and and, uh, BARD, I think is the other one, right? What are we going to do with that? What does this mean to us from a business perspective? It'll be fascinating, and it'll change tomorrow. I'm curious if you have a take on how to develop a more innovative approach to connecting generations. And like you said, there is that shift going on. 
how do you kind of engage not only your membership, but it's also attracting retaining employees and mm -hmm. how you develop those working relationships? People are people at the bottom line. We'll pull our pants on one leg at a time, you know, unless we're gymnasts or something. But beyond that, I think the, the challenge is young people or younger workers, they want to move fast. They want to contribute now. And in some of their minds, I think that means the best way to do that is to be in charge of something. That looks to them like, well, I need to be the boss of something early. Now, they're not all think that way, but, they, but the bottom line is they want to contribute. And if we've got an older generation that, you know, we, I mentioned this is the way we've always done it, I think the critical piece that gets missed there in that knowledge transfer or in that uh, working together kind of thing is the why. So we've got one end of the workforce that this is the way we've always done it, but share the why. Why have we done it this way? Why has this helped us be successful? Why did it start this way? Why have we moved it from where we started to what it is now? And, and share those reasons so that the history can be embedded into some of those younger workers because we didn't get here by accident. No organization succeeds by, well, very few anyway, succeed by accident. Most of the time, it's something else. It, it's a planned approach or it's, it's that experience that's applied, all of that. And so if the longer in the tooth workers can share the why of some things and help the younger folks understand that, then they can start incorporating some of that old why into the new why, right? Why do we need to make a change and have that sort of, again, cross-communication happen? It's not always easy. And, and again, I think there's a little bit of an impatience maybe with some younger workers. Uh, I, I had a story one day, a, a general manager called me up and said, Gary, I've got a problem. I've got some younger line workers, we call them the kids, and they don't understand how come they got to be in the ditch framing up a pole when their foreman is sitting in the truck filling out paperwork, how come he's not here doing the grunt work with us? I, I had to laugh when he shared that, and we talked about a lot of things, but uh, I think there was almost a, uh, a misconception by the younger folks about, gee, is it fun to fill out paperwork? I don't think so, right? Uh, most of them probably, when they got to that spot, like, oh, I don't really want to do this. I'd rather be down in the ditch. Yep. But in the moment, they weren't looking at that. They looked at, well, how come his job is special and mine isn't? If the younger folks want to push forward in something, don't just keep pushing. Help the other folks understand the why you think this is important. I'll go back again to how do we answer that question about when's the power going to be back on? Well, if I'm an, a young communicator and I'm the one who has to answer the chat box or put the posts out on Facebook or, or read all of those things that you know people are chiming in on, I want to be helpful to the members. I want to help them know what's going on. And if I'm not learning it from somebody else in the organization on the operations side, I'm stuck. So I'm either going to give a wrong answer or we're not going to give any answer and that doesn't help our members. So help bridge that gap. And I think that little three-letter word of why, uh, which toddlers ask a lot, right? And <laughs> yes, adults, yes. we still want to know. We just don't ask as much. No, you're very, very true. My four-year-old, that is his favorite question. And I think it is the right question to be asking. And I think that feeling of, well, we've always done it this way, it's important to understand the why. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other side of that for me has always been the respect of A, understanding the why. And then also for younger generations, it might be, I hope I'm being heard. Absolutely. Even if you are doing it that way, here's the reasons why things are shifting or changing or the ability to kind of be open to the new ideas, right? So I think it's it's a level of respect for 
those generations to somehow meet in the middle to discuss what they could potentially do. But in your your situation or your example, yeah, they probably don't realize that sitting and doing all the paperwork is not not a fun activity. So under explaining that why I've never can met a, so a line worker yet who really wasn't a hands-on kind of person and that doesn't really mean a hands-on a pen. You know? So yeah. No, I you know, there's still a number of co-ops that I hear stories about that silos still exist across parts of the organization, those kinds of things. And and I'm always hopeful that as people learn more about more of the organization than the one they're kind of responsible in or for, that some of those silos will start to erode. And I think, I think to me, that learning process is the real key to that, to reducing the, the height of the silos, if you will. We've got to let people peer over the other side and learn a little bit more. Is there something that you feel often gets overlooked where leaders need to focus on for, for their development? I think a lot of the the newer generation workers coming in are expecting some kind of a development path. And that can look different ways in different places, all of that. We look at uh, NRECA's curriculum. We've got different portfolios for brand new workers or workers coming into the industry. We've got some supervisory management things. Uh, We've got a management internship program that's been going for a long time. We just introduced something new beyond that from an HR perspective, right? How do we help develop a pathway? for new folks so they can see what that looks like forward for them. From a leadership perspective in the organization, you know, you asked about are there things that get overlooked in the cybersecurity and the different technologies and power supply issues, you know, whether it's renewables or, or something else. Those are all components and elements of our business today, and they will continue to be for a long, long time. What I perceive or take in as a key challenge that I think probably is is an element that many leaders have to hone on a little bit or polish more, is the need to create a shared vision, what that future really might look like for this organization, and create that vision story, if you will, that allows others to see them going on that journey together. Because we're not going to get to tomorrow overnight. It doesn't just happen. It didn't just happen when our organizations got started either, right? Somebody had a vision and said, let's bring power to the countryside. And oh my goodness, all the things that had to happen in between there and that light bulb getting turned on. Well, we're kind of at a similar precipice that way, but in a very different world than back then. And we got a whole new future ahead of us that we don't necessarily know what it looks like yet. But creating some kind of a vision that says, I think this is where we're going to be. And then allowing that vision to flex and mold as we learn more, as technology continues to change, as members continue to look to us for different things, the energy experts, right? And as the workforce continues to change. We think pre-COVID, right? Coming to the office was the thing to do. Now, maybe we've got to look at that a little bit differently. We've got to flex a little bit more and not all jobs can flex the same way. We have to, uh, I think, collectively work together and really kind of define what does that look like going forward? Because I, I don't see it going all the way back to where it was. And yet, I've heard some some stories about, well, I have to come in every day, and so should everybody else. Like, really? Is that, is that true? Or was that a career choice that you made? And we'll help you with a different career choice if you'd like, if that's important to you. The co-op was looking at how much overtime they were paying to their, to their line crews. And they looked at data, and they said, you know what? Most of our overtime hours are happening between 5 and 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night, right after the daytime shift. Instead of saying, 
let's just not fix things then, or let's do what we've been doing. They said, I wonder if a split shift would work. Somebody working not from seven to, to four, but maybe from 10 to six or, or from noon to, to eight o'clock or something like that. And they didn't think they'd be successful, but they threw that out to their operations staff and they had more people that wanted to work that sort of off shift than they had need for a number of workers. And they'd started to, they're like, wow, that surprised us. When they looked deeper into it, a lot of two earner families, two income earner families, and that split shift allowed mom or dad to be home when people were going to school and allowed mom or dad to be home when people got home. And it made their family life a little easier just by making that change. And guess what? It made their operation better and they reduced their overtime. Data can be a huge thing here. Look at data to tell a story. And then what do we do once we know that story? Excellent. A lot of food for thought there. And I know it's it's such a big area to cover in a short time span. <laughs> but quickly, I want to shift into just one last area. And that's succession planning. What does that look like at co-ops right now? And What I do know is that there's, there's a challenge there, without a doubt. I mean, 82,000 employees across the country, uh, about 18% of those eligible to retire again in the next five years. So uh, that's 14,000 employees. Wow, that's a lot of replacement or rehiring or whatever it might be. But what does succession look like? I think in many organizations, one of the challenges there is Gary used to be here. Gary was here a long time. Do we need to replace Gary with another Gary? Or is it something else? What does it look like? Because what do we need to fulfill that future vision? And maybe some of what Gary was good at is okay, but maybe not the whole package. So that to me is the crucial element in succession planning is trying to define what those future needs are. And then not looking at, you know, hiring warm body to fill a spot with a warm body, uh, but looking at what expertise, what skill sets do we need going forward? Frankly, we've not really had to do that in our industry, not just co-ops, but across the industry. We've really not had to do that for many, many years. And so it's a new challenging thing. You know, frankly, I mean, let's face it, a lot of electric cooperatives are smaller organizations. How do you start providing some of the learning opportunity and the growth opportunity for somebody, whether it's on-the-job training, whether it's shadowing, whether it's a course or a workshop or something like that, going to a conference, how do you do those things without completely forecasting or sharing with somebody, hey, we're grooming you for XYZ position, because that's something we don't want to do. We want to create the opportunity, but somebody has to step up to that opportunity. And, you know, there are no guarantees in life. So, so that's a... <laughs> it's that, a balancing act, it sounds like. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. balancing act. Yep. No, I I'm, I'm glad you pro provided some insight to it. I know it, it is something that can help reduce risks at co-ops, be able to pass on some of that generational mm -hmm. knowledge. But like you're saying, it's a balancing act of you, you want to groom people, but it's not necessarily a done deal. Groom without telegraph. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. So just to wrap it up, pull together for us your best three tips for maybe a CEO who is looking at retiring in that next five-year span or maybe even 10 years? Well, first off, as a 30-plus year, I'm 35-plus years now, <laughs> employee in the electric cooperative space, first thing I'd say is congratulations. But uh, I know many of them are like, boy, it's such an interesting time right now. I wish I didn't have to quit. And then there's others like, yeah, I'm going to leave this for somebody else, right? That kind of thing. But I think to your question, Christine, I think what sort of things would I sort of leave on the table? One is, uh, I suppose you'd call it legacy, right? 
how do I leave the organization? And that doesn't mean you need to build yourself up or it's not about, you know, props to, to that individual or whatever, but I also don't want to leave it in a spot where the new person coming into that key leadership role, that high leadership role, has to fix a bunch of stuff. They might change it, but changing and fixing aren't the same thing. And, and you know, for example, there was a period of time where there were a bunch of new general managers that got hired and the old person leaving was patting themselves on the back. Oh, we haven't had a rate change for 15 years. Well, what did the new person have to do right off the bat, right? Implement a 10% rate change and, and all of a sudden this brand new person who should be engaging with the community and engaging with the members in a very positive way is the bad person because they had to raise rates, right? Don't want to do that. And, and I think a lot of that, the second thing is really the employee team, right? Uh, we can have all of the policy and strategy that we want, but if we don't have the people in the right places and we don't have the people with the right skill sets, we can't pull off any of that strategy. We can't pull off any of that direction in a positive way. And so the team needs to be a well-working team, a well-oiled team. And, you know, the, the silos that I talked about before, right? The stronger those are, the harder it's going to be for that new person to come in and actually accomplish something until they've done a reset. And, and that's a challenge. Lastly, I would say, you know, and, and I know we, that's one of the reasons I enjoy working in the cooperative space is that we have people with a lot of integrity. So regardless of, of what things look like as you're on your way out, do the right thing. And, and that might mean leave sooner than later. Don't wait too long. It might mean offer your assistance to the new person because there's this particular thing that you've got expertise or uh, some of that knowledge that, that we've talked about, you know, but don't hang around too long because the new person needs to make their mark too. But whatever it is, whatever the challenges are, whatever the situation is, uh, do the right thing. Walk away with your head up. Look back and be proud that your cooperative that you've been around with can succeed for the next generation and the generation after that. Thank you so much, Gary. I appreciate you coming in and sharing a lot of words of advice and some great insights here for us. Uh, and I hope that we get to speak to you again on the topic soon. That would be awesome. Uh, thanks for the opportunity and uh, go electric co-ops. Be sure to listen to more episodes of CFC Solutions Cast on your favorite podcast app and check out www.nrucfc.coop/solutions for more cooperative news.